Last night we were driving back down uh, I-69 and then I-75 from visiting some family up near Lansing. And there was a gust of wind and a big cloud of snow and I couldn't see anything for about what felt like forever but was probably just about 10 seconds, maybe a little bit longer. So we slowed way down and thankfully uh, did not run into anybody and then a couple of cars went around us and then they slowed way down too because they saw we couldn't see anything. And uh, when you're in those conditions, you're looking for basically anything to tell you where the edges of the road are. You're looking for some kind of signpost, some sort of mile marker sticking up. As we go through life, we are often looking for signs, if you will. And uh, if you're hungry, you're driving down the road, you want a sign that points you to a restaurant, right? If your life is a mess, you want a sign that maybe provides a solution, and you don't often find those on billboards, but every once in a while you see something you think, maybe this could help me. In Jesus' day, people wanted signs too. Not road signs, but things that would point them to God's work, what God was doing in the world. The signs that God announced through prophets and messengers were of two kinds in the Bible. One kind was just ordinary, everyday things. This will be a sign for you. These two people are going to die, and it's a sign of God's judgment. This will be a sign for you. There could be a miraculous sign, right? Some uh, remarkable thing. The day of Hezekiah, how do you know that you're going to be healed? Because the sun is going to go back ten steps on the sundial, on the steps. Like many in Jesus' day, we tend to be looking for the amazing and the miraculous signs. We want some big flashing lights. We when we were in the snowstorm, you kind of want something that's like a bright light that's just pointing, this is the way you're supposed to go. There's like the, like the lights on a runway, right? Don't go on this side, don't go on that side, go right down the middle. It's clearly visible, you can tell exactly where you are. But when the snow cleared for a second, all I saw was the ordinary signs on the side of the road. But God used those ordinary signs to get us back on track. And God uses, in the passage that we're looking at today, ordinary signs for the shepherd. Now, why does this matter? Well, the other day I saw somebody share a thing online, and it sounded like this really great idea. The shepherds knew right where to find Jesus, and how did they know? Because there was a tower of the shepherds, and it was two stories, and in the bottom is where the temple shepherds would have the sacrificial lambs that were going to be used at Jerusalem, and they would take the lambs, and they would wrap them up in strips of cloth, just like infants, and that would protect the lambs, and they would be unblemished for the sacrifice, and they, when they saw Jesus in that place, wrapped up just like a baby lamb, they knew that he was destined for sacrifice near the temple. That story sounds amazing. Here's the problem. There's basically no biblical evidence for it and very little historical evidence for it. There was a guy in the 1800s who studied a lot about Jewish culture who found this legend, and it's basically been repeated periodically ever since. And we hear something like that, and we're like, wow, look at that. That's amazing. This is a remarkable, amazing, profound sign. And look at how all these things come together. And the reality is, in the birth of Jesus, there are amazing and profound things that come together. But we don't want the visible part of it, not the behind-the-scenes part of it, but the visible part of it to be just this ordinary thing. 
baby, place for animals, normal birth, some shepherds who are just ordinary shepherds come and see him. We want it to be significant and profound, and the reality is that's not what God gave them. That's not what God gives us in this account. In the Gospels which tell about Jesus, people are often looking for these over-the-top miraculous signs. But the people who had that response in the Gospels, interestingly enough, tended to be skeptics, people who were unwilling to believe. Jesus would give them a sign, and they wanted another one. Feeds the 5,000, they say, hey, keep feeding us, because this is, this is great. Heals a, someone who's demon-possessed, hey, cast out another one. Show us what you can do. That's not faith, that's not belief, that's wanting someone to do interesting things to keep you engaged. It says in Luke 11, when Jesus cast out a demon, some of them said he defeats Satan by Satan's own power, and others decided, it says, to test him. They kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. They didn't want to believe. They wanted to see amazing, remarkable things. On the other hand, we have people like the shepherds or Simeon or Anna who are already looking for Jesus to come in some way, or when they heard of him, believed in him quickly when they, when they, when they were, received the message. So here's the reality. If you believe God's word, you don't need a miraculous sign. If you don't believe God's word, a miraculous sign is not going to persuade you, but only condemn you because you're going to keep asking for more and still not respond in trust. God gives ordinary signs to ordinary people, but the passage is calling us to trust in this extraordinary God through his extraordinary son. God gives ordinary signs to ordinary people. Look at verse 8. These were ordinary people. In the same region, there were shepherds. Shepherds were not the CEOs of their day. They were not the people who were really well off. They were not, as a general rule, people that you're going to say, these are the people that we want to spend time with in order to have success in life. They dealt with sheep. I used to think that sheep were white and fluffy, kind of like cotton balls. And then my church, uh, when I was growing up, did sort of a living nativity kind of thing. We had actual sheep. And the reality about sheep is they're kind of grubby. They're kind of dirty. Uh, if you don't shear them, they get all matted and kind of nasty looking. If you're out on, in the fields watching over sheep, you're probably not getting regular showers and you're not wearing fancy clothes. You're not... Shepherds are just ordinary people. And there's nothing wrong with good, honest, hard work. Getting dirty, needing to take a shower at the end of it, there's nothing wrong with that. Construction work, working in a factory, working on cars, whatever, there's nothing wrong with that kind of work. But it's not the kind of work that society sees as glamorous. They sort of take it for granted, right? These were ordinary people. They were shepherds, they were hard workers, they were out in the field. What were they doing? They were doing what shepherds are supposed to do, keeping watch over their flock at night. Why? Well, because there's different dangers. There's animals that could attack. Jesus talks about this in uh, John 10, that the shepherd is going to guard the door of the sheep, even be the door of the sheep, keep thieves from coming in and stealing the sheep, keep animals from coming and attacking the sheep. This was their job. They would keep an eye on them. They would take care of them. But they were ordinary people. They got an ordinary sign. A baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Now, 
This is an ordinary sign which pointed to some really amazing things. We'll get to those in a moment, the promises that God had made. But did the shepherds know where to go because there was this hugely significant symbolic place that's really well known to everybody? Probably not. In reality, Bethlehem is not that big of a place. So when the angels say, hey, go find a baby laying in a manger, it's not like it would have taken them three days to find it. Did the shepherds wrap up baby lambs in swaddling clothes? And so they're like, oh, this is, this is the connection. The baby is wrapped in swaddling clothes again. There's no evidence for this. There's people who raise sheep today, and they would say, you don't need to wrap up baby lambs because God made them to get born and start walking around, feed from their mom. You don't have to do this special thing to keep them safe. Now, human babies tend to flop their heads around, tend to be a little bit shaky. You've got to look after them a little bit more carefully, but baby animals tend to be remarkably self-sufficient very shortly after they're born. And so again, these, these legends, uh, the simple word from the angels was to find a baby in a place for animals. Simple and clear. God gave an ordinary sign to ordinary people. The focus, I think the reason that this is important, is the focus was on God's word being fulfilled as true. And I think sometimes we want to reverse the order of those things. We don't want to focus on, here's what God has said, we're going to say, well, what's the thing that stands behind what God has said? What's the amazing picture or remarkable event or all of those sorts of things? Again, we see in one of Jesus' parables, the man who dies and his brothers are still unbelieving. He says, if I go back from the dead or if someone goes back from the dead, they'll believe. What's Jesus' response? They have God's word. If they don't believe the things that God has already said, no amount of miracles is going to persuade them. What should our response be to God's word? Not to ask for another or a different or more amazing sign, but instead to trust this extraordinary God through his extraordinary son. An extraordinary God arranged the events of his son's birth. In Isaiah 7, God promised to deliver this unbelieving king. Uh, it's remarkable that God comes to this king. We looked at this several a number of months ago and says, hey, two kings are threatening you. I'm going to defeat those kings. What would you like me to do to show you that they are going to be defeated and you're going to be delivered? Ask anything at all. As high as the heavens below, above or the earth beneath, anything at all. Ask for anything. You know what the response of the unbelieving king was there? Oh, God, I don't, want to, I don't want to trouble you. He didn't believe God could do it anyway, so he's like, I'm not going to do what God's asking me to do. So God's response is this. You don't believe? I'm going to show you something that the whole world is going to be amazed by. He gives him a, a, an immediate sign right there. Within two years, this baby is going to be born, probably the son of Isaiah the prophet. And before he is old enough to take care of himself and all these sorts of things, these two kings are going to be defeated. And that's exactly what happened. But there's another sign in that passage that points us to what's described in the book of Matthew and what we're looking at here. And that is that a virgin will have a child and his name will be Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. We saw earlier uh, this year in 1 Peter 1, 18-20 that the prophets searched to understand exactly when this would happen. They looked forward to it. They said he's going to suffer and he's going to reign. There's going to be glory to follow. When is this going to happen? What is it going to look like? Where will it take place? 
And God didn't reveal it all at once, but over the course of time, God revealed these details. And when the right time came, God arranged for a pagan ruler to to decree some tax laws that would force Jesus' parents, his earthly father and his mother Mary, (coughs) to be in the right place at the right time. We see this in verses 1 through 6, which we didn't read of Luke 2. And then he sent angels to announce the birth of his son, which we see in verse 9. (coughs) What response are we supposed to have related to these things? I said that the response (coughs) is to trust this extraordinary God through his extraordinary son. The coming of the Son brings the possibility of joy for all people. It says, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Sometimes we hear that and we think, yeah, the people who are basically good people. No. We see in the Gospels, we see in the rest of the New Testament that this message was for people who were Rich and powerful, but only a very few of them. By and large, the people who heard this message, whom God brought to salvation, Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians, were ordinary people who didn't have money, who didn't have great power, who weren't recognized as being anyone important. God saves those kind of people. Not only are there people who are not viewed as really important by the standards of society, but people who are sinners. And how many people are sinners? Everybody. You say, well, I'm mostly good. You know what? God's not really looking for mostly good. God's looking for be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. None of us can raise our hand and say, I've never told a lie. I've never wanted what someone else has. I've never acted or thought hatefully toward people around me. No one can say that. All of us, in small ways or big ways, have disobeyed God and done what He said not to do, and we've disobeyed God because we didn't do what He said we should do. So don't do sinful things. Don't lie and cheat and steal and hate and uh, murder and commit adultery and all these sorts of things. Don't do those things. We're like, well, maybe I didn't do any of those things, at least not any of the big ones that are a big deal, which is not really what God's looking for. But have we lived up to God's standard of love God with all your being and love your neighbor as yourself? No. (coughs) This message of joy for all people is coming to people who, verse 11 says, need a Savior. Sometimes we think we're basically good. I don't really need saving because things are okay. For most people, there comes a point in your life when you realize, I cannot do life on my own. I cannot... I'm not as independent and self-sufficient and things are not going nearly as well as I thought they would at this point or as I thought they would in the course of my life. Maybe you haven't come to that point yet of knowing that you are not enough and you need God. 
Or maybe you have and you've thought, well, not right now, down the road. This passage is saying there has been born a Savior. When it says, who is Christ the Lord, that word Christ points to Him being the Messiah, the one that's promised in a bunch of places in the Old Testament to God's people, starting way back in Genesis 3.15, the offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent and will bring victory over sin and death, and expanded throughout the course of, of the history of the people of Israel and the words of the prophets to very specific things about Him being born even in this place in Bethlehem. He's the Messiah. He's the one God has promised to deal with sin. But He's also the Lord. That's another sticking point for people. They're like, yeah, you know what? Life has not worked for me, so I need help to get out of it. But I'm not sure that I'm willing to go to the point of saying I'm actually going to obey a God that expects things of me. Why do we chase after all sorts of other gods? Well, because we can tell them what to do. Because if we've thought them up, we're greater than they are. The problem in that line of thinking is when we're in trouble, they can't help us. But when things are going well, we can get the credit. The God that we see in the Bible is not a God that we can sort of put on the shelf when we want to do our own thing and take off the shelf when we need something. He's a God who does provide and help His people, but also a God who expects things of them. He is the Lord. He is the ruler. He is, in the city of David, it has reference to Bethlehem, but in other places it has reference to Jerusalem. This was the seat of the kings of the nation of Israel. This is one who, as Paul says in Acts 17, is going to judge the world, come to reign over the world. Revelation says, over the nations with a rod of iron. This is one who is coming not just to be a baby on Christmas cards. Mm. He didn't stay a baby. He lived a life of obedience to God. He died in the place of sinners. Let me read for you a verse that we looked at recently in 1 Peter that I think sums this up well for us. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Who is this message of salvation for? Well, Luke 2 says, for those among men with whom He is pleased. Who is God pleased with? Those who say, I'm going to turn from myself and turn to God through this way of salvation that is brought by God's Son, Jesus. 1 Peter 3, the just in the place of the unjust. I cannot deal with my sin before God. I just can't. It's like <clears throat> if I'm in a hole and it's like, a, like you're at the beach and you're in a hole full of sand and you keep trying to dig it out and the sand keeps rushing back in. That's what our sin is like. We're already in the hole and the more we try to dig ourselves out, the deeper we go into the hole. 
or the more buried we get by the more things that we keep doing that displease God. So if you're here this morning and you think that the way to God is to try harder, God doesn't want you to try harder. God wants you to stop trying and say, Jesus did everything that I needed. He came to fulfill the, the, all the events of history that led to this moment in Bethlehem. He lives a life that is perfect. He dies a death that's in the place of sinners, one who is perfect in place of those who are imperfect, one who's obedient in the place of the disobedient. And that's all I need. And not only am I going to come to him as one who's going to rescue me, but as one whom I'm going to follow. And that's the part that, again, sometimes we don't want to go that far. We say, well, he rescues me, and then I can go do whatever I want because he got me out of the, the problem that I, I created in my life. God is not looking for followers who just want him to bail them out. God is looking for people that after he bails them out, and that's even an insufficient phrase to describe what he does, after he saves them, they follow after him and they live for him. And so if you have one of those moments like we did on the road last night where you feel like, I can't do this on my own. I can't see where I'm going I'm scared. I don't, I don't know where to go from here. If you've had those moments and your response has been, okay, I made it through. I'm good. I don't need to worry about it anymore. A passage like this would point you to the fact that when God delivers you through ordinary situations or shows you Himself through ordinary signs, everyday circumstances. Don't wait until you think something really amazing happens to say, that's the moment I'm going to follow after God. Because the reality is, there were a handful of people that got to see amazing miracles, like Moses' staff being turned to a snake, or the plagues on Egypt, or all the things that Elijah and Elisha did, or the miracles that the apostles did, people who couldn't speak starting to speak, people who couldn't walk starting to walk, people who were dead being raised from the dead. There were a handful of people throughout history that got to see those really amazing things. For most people, do you know what they got to see? The ordinary, everyday work of God in their lives. The fact that you and I are alive today, given some of the things that all of us have done, that's God's ordinary, everyday work. Don't wait and look for something that you think is more amazing and more profound to say, this is the moment that I'm going to start following after God. There are ways that God blesses you each and every day. The fact that you and I get up each day and have breath and have life and have all of the daily necessities of life for the most part, the fact that we have those things that's God's ordinary, everyday work in our lives. And we don't need to look for some writing in the sky, for some remarkable, miraculous event, for whatever it might be. God shows us the ordinary coming by birth, in a humble place, 
with everyday people gathered around of an extraordinary Savior who points us to an amazing God. So, there's all sorts of responses in and around this passage. I just want to look at one. What was the response of the shepherds? They came in humility. They heard the word, and they didn't say, well, you know, here's all the reasons why that can't possibly be true, and here's the reasons that I'm not going to be interested in it because I've got all these responsibilities, and here's all of the... They just said, hey, this is an amazing thing. Let's go see it. So they go. When God calls you to himself, he's not looking for you to try to understand how it is possible that a righteous God can forgive a sinful person like you. He's just saying, here's the life jacket, put it on. If you're drowning It's not time for a philosophical discussion about how about this and how about that and how about the other thing. You're drowning. God reaches out to save you. Take his hand. You say, but but maybe there's this natural explanation for why I'm still here today given this tragic, traumatic, great difficulty in my life. God's not looking for you to understand all the circumstances of it. God is looking for you to respond in gratitude and following after Him because He's the one that made it happen. You and I may not see it. We may not always be aware of it. We may not understand it. But God says, you going to follow me? The shepherds heard the message. This thing has happened. They said, all right, let's go see it. And when they saw it, what did they do? They believed. And when they believed, what was the next thing that they did? They went and told everybody about it. So, maybe you've experienced this. You've heard about Jesus. You've seen Jesus through the truth of Scripture. You telling anybody about it? If somebody said, hey, the fulfillment of human history happened now and you got to see it, and then you're like, eh, I don't think anybody else needs to know about this. But that's how so many professing Christians act. Here's this amazing thing that God has done. Eh, I'm doing my job, making meals for my family, enjoying my hobbies. Never mind the fact that there are people who haven't heard about this. The shepherds were amazed and believed and went and told people about it. In the context of what? It says, they went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as been told them. It's easy for us to get an attitude of, you know what? I know God did some stuff, but I wasn't all that bad. And we start to take credit for the work that God has done in our lives. If we ever lose the sense of humility that we deserve nothing of what God has done for us and everything is by His grace and He deserves all the praise for it, we're in a really dangerous spot because that's going to lead us to sin and all sorts of other things because we think we don't need God anymore. What is this passage calling us to do? To have the response as the shepherds did. Look at what God has done. Okay, let's go see it. Okay. We believe what he's done. 
All right, let's go tell everybody else about it, and let's praise God for the amazing work that He has done. Not because there's some really profound thing that only the scribes and Pharisees could understand that happened in that moment. God said, I've sent the Savior of the world. He's a baby. He's in a manger. He's in this place that nobody thinks is much of a place. Go see Him. They said, okay. Again, God gives ordinary signs to ordinary people. What sort of sign are you looking for in your life? And what sort of things has God done that if you look back on it, you'd say, you know what? The only reason that happened is because of God. But, but maybe you've looked at it and you said, well, that wasn't any kind of miracle. Or like, it's surprising, but it's not a miracle. So eh, even if God did it, it's not that big of a deal. God, most of the time, works through ordinary signs, events, circumstances in our lives to show himself to us. He wants us to focus on his word more than on experiences. He wants us to believe the truth about what he said. And he wants us to follow after him, tell other people about him, and rejoice in what he is doing. Ordinary signs, ordinary people, extraordinary God, extraordinary Savior. Let's pray. Father, as we looked at these things, sometimes we just... Maybe there's people here today that are holding out for something more. We want all our questions answered. We want just some amazing thing that we can look back on and say... This is the moment when I trusted in God because just there's, this is just so profound and, and wonderful of an experience. And not that what the shepherds experienced wasn't amazing in some ways, but in other ways it's just ordinary things. They leave their flocks, they go walk into town, they find the baby, and they say, we believe what God has said about him. any of us here today, Lord, are holding out for something more than you have already done, searching for mm, secret knowledge, profound experiences, just something else, I pray that we would stop looking for that and instead look to what you have already done in our lives, in the story that we looked at this morning. in your hand upholding creation every day. The fact that the seasons come and go, that we draw our next breath, that we have food to eat, that the world, as broken as it is, is not nearly as chaotic as it could be. All these things are signs of your good providence. Help us not to be blind to them. Help us not to drive off the road into disaster and death because the ordinary signs aren't good enough for us. We want something else. Help us not to look back on the events of our lives and attribute them to something else, to our own skill, to our own cleverness, but to see in these things your hand and your work. 
Help us to see ordinary signs as ordinary people and come to you as an extraordinary God through your extraordinary Son, born in Bethlehem, born in a manger. Come as a Savior, suffering and dying, coming again someday as a King to rule and reign. May we be ready for that day because we look back on this day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.